This episode of the Nerd Cave Retro is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash nerdcave. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. You're listening to the Nerd Cave Network. programs and welcome back to another episode of the nerd cave retro show my name is jason robbins and i'm derek diamond it's been so long since we've talked to each other derek (laughs) i know it's just it feels like it's been a whole 30 seconds so so what have you been doing but 30 seconds too long (laughs) what you been doing the last 30 seconds uh other than uh retro games (laughs) Well, you know, I had to check my phone for messages. I moved my coffee cup from the left side of the table to the uh, right. Yes. <laughs> you know, some some exciting stuff going on here at, at the Diamond household. Uh, like I talked a little bit about on the last episode, I forgot to mention that uh, I started to watch a little bit of that the, the Netflix show Everything Sucks, which is mm-hmm. based in the 90s. Um, it's okay. I'm about four episodes into it. It's a little too melodramatic for my taste, but if you're a child of the nineties and you, you kind of want a little bit of this, of, of a nostalgia trip, I, I would highly recommend it because it kind of brought me right back to the nineties, especially with their, the music choices they made in the show. I'll have to check it out. Um, <clears throat> I actually haven't really been watching that many shows lately. I, I did finish, um, because I think we talked about it at uh, Pensacon a couple of weeks ago, that I had started watching The Good Place. Yeah. Well, yeah, I finished yeah. se- I finished season one and about a third of the way through season two. It's actually a really funny show. Oh yeah, I still haven't seen the second season yet. We're we're waiting. We got behind on it while it was on Hulu, and of course, it's one of those shows on Hulu where. Uh, they start to take off episodes as it gets further into the season. You only have like a couple of, you know, they only show like, I think six or seven episodes at a time. And then like, there's mm-hmm. a new episode comes out, they'll chop off one of the earlier episodes. So we got like, you know, we were like three episodes like missed. So we were like, you know, we'll just screw it. We're just going to wait for it to come on Netflix. So we're once we do that, we'll get recaught back up and then we'll start watching it again as they come out on Hulu. Um, but not only that, man, but I, we're completely caught up with the Goldbergs now and Mm -hmm. I love the Goldbergs, man. It's one of my favorite shows on TV right now, but I do have a little bit of, uh, a beef with the show right now. They did an Indiana Jones episode the other night and I know what you're going to talk about in the episode. (laughs) They were talking about the Raiders guys and they Mm -hmm. said they were from New Jersey they were not from New Jersey. They were from about two miles down the road from where I'm at right now in Ocean Springs, Mississippi. And how do I know this? Because I'm from here and I know the guys that made the movie. I know Eric Zala. I know, you know, Chris Trampolis. I know those guys. I know Chris Trampolis's mom. I know everybody involved with it. So I know they made it here and not freaking New Jersey. <laughs> 
But if you want to hear it for yourself, you can hear them on past episodes of the yeah. Pop Culture Palette and the Derek Diamond Experience. Exactly. Go back and uh, I think you had Eric Zala on, didn't you? Or Zala, how he pronounce it? I had both of them on. Uh, yeah, and I had Chris Trampolis on. Actually, he was on one of the last episodes of Broke Nerdcast. And then I, oh, yeah, re- that's right. I redid that episode for the Pop Culture Palette uh, to keep mm-hmm. it. Um, I have been. I talked to Eric Zala a couple of months ago because uh, they had a big showing of the the Raiders adaptation here at the uh, the Beau Rivage Casino, and I talked to him. I talked to him for a while, and we're supposed to get him on the Pop Culture Palette to uh, for an interview, but we just kind of never got around to it. And I was supposed to send him a copy. Of, I think I sent him a link to uh, Monsters Anonymous, and I think I was supposed to send him a DVD too, but I kind of forgot. So sorry. Eric, <laughs> uh, it's all good. But yeah, if you've never seen Raiders the adaptation, it, it's definitely worth it. It's it's a good yeah time like to watch it with other people. It's really mm-hmm. fun. But when you're just kind of sitting watching by yourself, it's a little bit hard of a watch because you're just like, this looks awful because it's made on <laughs> like it's like a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy of VHS tape. So. I don't know, you know, anybody who listens to this show knows the technology from the 80s, but, you know, you record a, a VHS a few times, like a copy of a copy of a copy, it's not very good. <laughs> it ain't pretty. No, but it is fun to watch with a theater full of people. I've seen it twice uh, at the theater with, a, you know, a theater full of people. It's really fun. So if you get a chance to do it, I highly recommend it. If they come anywhere near your town... Uh, to show it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's, I've only watched it on Netflix, but it's, it's a fun watch for yeah, sure. That's a really good documentary they did as well. I actually have the book, uh, that they wrote about it called Raiders, uh, by Alan Eisenstock. So if, let me see real quick if that's available on Audible. <laughs> and if it is, that will be our, um, That'll be our thing for tonight. You mean you mean the proud sponsor of this fine program? Yeah, yes, the, the proud sponsor of this here podcast. Um, let's see. I do not see it. Let me let me see if it's under Alan Eisenstock. Um, no, I don't think. Oh, yes, it's here. Uh, it, it is available on Audible, Raiders, the story of the greatest fan film ever made, uh, by Chris Trampolis, Alan Eisenstock, and Eric Zala, narrated by Josh Goodman. It's 11 hours and 5 minutes, uh, so we'll we'll talk a little bit about that during our Audible break. <laughs> so is there anything you wanted to talk about before we move into the news for tonight? No, sir. All right, well, let's do that then. There you go. So I pulled this uh, article the other day because I was I saw when this was about to come out. I've been following this on uh, Nintendo.com, and uh, this is actually on the uh, the article for this that I got is from Forbes.com because we had been seeing this the last few weeks about how Nintendo is going to use the gold coins that you earn from uh, games that you've bought as credit for new games. But we didn't know how much it was going to relate, you know, as far as, you know, space points to actual money. 
It kind of sucks. So Nintendo Switch loyalty program wants you to spend twelve hundred to six thousand dollars for a free game. <laughs> cool. Wow. Uh, the gold point system, as Nintendo calls it, is supposed to be a reward program that gives players free games and discounts to more games you buy, and now it applies to Switch titles. Sounds perfectly reasonable in theory, but in practice, Nintendo's math feels less than generous. One gold coin equals one cent in this system. Points are awarded based on what you pay for games and how you buy them. 5% of the purchase price for eShop games will be converted into points, while 1% of the price of physical games will be converted into points. This may not sound that bad on the surface. Nintendo's example is that a $60 eShop game will give you $3 off your next purchase, but when you zoom out on this math, it's pretty absurd. You will have to spend $1,200 on Nintendo eShop games to get one free $60 title. You will have to spend $6,000 on physical Nintendo games to get one free $60 title. Nintendo, what are you doing? You know, it's funny. The last episode, we were praising Nintendo for their awesome, you know, Switch console that's now been we doing really well. Turn around they and had a really good right direct, nuts. And, <laughs> and they do this. The, the first sentence of this whole article sums up my thoughts perfectly. Nintendo, Nintendo, you do so many things right, but so, so many things wrong. <laughs> uh, I mean. Why? I, does it equal different when, if it's yen? I mean, does it come out to uh, equal more in yen and it just didn't translate to actual U.S. dollars? I mean, one cent? I mean, I had thought about that, but I don't know. I just don't know about this. Because I was excited about this before I, I got the details for it. Okay, you know, I was seeing on the Nintendo.com site. It was like, you know, you, soon you're going to be able to use your gold coins for, you know, basically a store credit. And I was like, that's awesome, you know? Yeah. And then this news comes out and I'm like, well, this means you've got to spend like a ridiculous amount of money to get any sort of games or anything like that. So, and when I read this article on what it actually equated to, and I was just like, this is the dumbest thing Nintendo has done in a while. Yeah. I just don't get why you can't just keep it simple. Yeah. Like, I, I get the whole coin aspect, but when you really dive into it it's stupid even if it was just it's a really straight, stupid like if it was like 10 percent of your purchase price like you pay 60 percent and you get six bucks in gold coins and it equals to six bucks that's fine with me yeah or even yeah. three if it was three bucks for every 60 dollars i spend you know it may not be much but you buy you know, three games, three AAA games, you would have nine to ten bucks available to get like an indie game or something. Because there's plenty of games for uh, available for like ten bucks on the, the Nintendo eShop. But I mean, I, I, this is—I I don't even know what to say about this. This is like a slap in the face by Nintendo. Oh, and get this—the the gold point system. Those points expire after 12 months. 
What? So you yes, have at the very end of the months. article. So you have twelve months to spend six thousand dollars in order to get a free game. What is the point in that? Yeah. And I don't know if there's yeah. enough of a backlash about this on social media to make Nintendo kind of change their mind about this. It's definitely worth looking into. Like I, I've I didn't even know about this until you know I read the article when you posted it. This is well, the the word that I want to use, I'm not going to say on air, but I'll just I'll use the correct politically correct term and just say it's stupid. Yeah, this is uh, this is dumb. Nintendo, you, I just it's not good. This is not good. This is not good. Nintendo, you just took all your goodwill and just threw it out the window. You take one step forward and two steps back. Exactly. I, I'm not going to say anything else about it. I'm ready to move on because this just aggravates me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so let's go ahead and move into this month in video game history. Uh, in uh, 1984, March of 1984, IBM releases the IBM PC Junior in an attempt to enter the home computer market. It has improved sound and graphics over the original business-oriented IBM PC, but it is a commercial failure. I don't remember this at all. I don't either. Let me take a look at it, this. It has, it has that very classic... Um, early to mid-80s computer look. Yeah, it looks like an Apple II uh, upon first yeah. glance, but uh, I don't remember anybody owning this, this uh, IBM computer. I didn't really see IBM computer. It was a lot of Apple stuff when I was a kid, especially like in schools and libraries. I it really didn't... IBM was more of a, you know, a business computer. Like, you didn't really see IBMs out in the wild. Mm-mm. You know, it's funny because I would love to have an old computer, like maybe not this specific one, but something like it just to have in my house is like a display relic. Yeah. Like put it maybe like over here where my yeah. DVDs are, have a nice little backdrop I think would look pretty awesome. It'd be cool if you could find one that actually works, but uh, I doubt you're going to find one that actually <laughs> fires up these days. Uh, try to stream the podcast from it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in March of 1992, Blue Sky Productions releases Ultima Underworld, the Stygian Abyss. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Uh, the first ever real-time 3D first-person role-playing video game. We've talked about Ultima games before on the show, haven't yeah. we? Yeah, Ultima was, uh, there was like an Ultima game every single year, like in the late 80s to early 90s. And then, of course, the Ultima was really one of the very first kind of MMOs, uh, MMORPGs, and I, if I'm not mistaken, it's still going on to this day. People are still playing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've definitely talked about this, you know, off and on throughout the podcast and the fact that people are still playing it, because this game came out in, yeah, 92. That's insane. Yeah. Like, any, any franchise that has that kind of longevity, I give nothing but props to. That's... That's so impressive. Oh yeah, and I, we haven't heard anything about Ultima in a while. But it, you know, the last big thing I heard was the Ultima Online, which was kind of the late '90s. But like I said, you know, WoW couldn't kill it. I mean, there's probably only a couple of hundred, maybe a couple thousand people, maybe still playing it online. But man, those people are hardcore. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, Also on March 15th of 1994, Mega Man 6 is released in the U.S. And um, I think I might do some... uh, do some downloading of some ROMs here soon. I got a couple for an emulator. Uh, I got the Mega Man X series, 1, 2, and 3 for the Super Nintendo, and Mega Man 7. So I'd like to go back and do some more Mega Man games, because I reviewed Mega Man 2 on this show. I'd like to actually go back and play Mega Man 1 for the uh, NES and see how good that I can do on it, because from what I remember, that game was ridiculously hard. From what little I played it, yes. F- random trivia fact, I think on the very first episode of the show was when you reviewed Mega Man 2. I think so, and I actually beat it like the night before. Mm-hmm. We, uh, and I was like, it took yeah. me 30 years, but I finally <laughs> beat it. <laughs> yeah, because we did the dual review where you did Mega Man 2 and mm-hmm. I reviewed Link to the Past. Yep, that, that was it. Go back in the archives. It was like so people. long ago. Still there. That was barely almost two years ago now. This show is almost two years old. Yeah, we started, I think, in July of 2016. Yep. So pretty soon, before you know it, we'll hit 100 episodes. I know. It's crazy. We're we're (laughs) 20, as of this episode, 24 away. Wow. We're getting there. Which is insane, yeah. And to close out this month in video game history, on March 11th, 1995, Square releases Chrono Trigger for the Super Nintendo, frequently cited as one of the best video games of all time. Yeah, now, I've talked talk- about this off and on, but I, I really want to play this game because of how well it's received. This is a game that completely passed me by, uh, but every list I've looked at for Super Nintendo games, like the best of all time, it's always in the top three. Oh, yeah. Uh, and we talked about this last week, or actually when this episode comes out, it'll be two weeks ago. Uh, we talked about they actually re-released Chrono Trigger uh, mm-hmm. for on Steam. Steam. Yeah, put it on Steam, but it was the... The mobile the, port. Uh, yeah, the mobile port. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> Why would you not just take the SNES version and put it on there? It's so dumb. I could actually uh, had a chance to buy a copy of this, and I think I don't know if you remember me talking about this. Um, about I'd say about two months ago, I was at the flea market, and this guy had a, um, about six complete inbox Super Nintendo games, and Chrono Trigger was one of them. And he told me what was it? I think it was like three hundred dollars, and I could take all of them off his hands, and it was like Chrono Trigger, Secret of Mana. Um, I think he had a copy of Earthbound, and what the, it was like six different complete inbox Super Nintendo games, and I was like, I can't bring myself to drop three hundred dollars all at once for even yeah. if it's for six complete inbox games. I just I I can't I I would be shaking handing him that money. He'd be like, I, eh, you know, cause I'm, and people are like, you know, those games are worth way more than that. I'm like, yeah, but I'm not going to turn around. I'm not in it for profit. I'm in it to own the games and I can't spend that. Mo- I mean, I'd rather take that money that I've saved up to go ahead and pay off the switch that, you know, I put on my credit card. So, you know, if I'm going to do that instead of, buying six complete inbox Super Nintendo games. Maybe that was a bad decision. I don't know, but that would be very tempting though, for sure. Oh, trust me. It was because they were well taken care of copies. 
because just Earthbound alone, like I've seen out of box copies go for close to two hundred bucks. Yeah. So I can't I can't imagine what an inbox copy of Earthbound would go for by itself. Yeah. Uh, with that along that's, that's with a, Chrono Trigger, <laughs> yeah, Secret of Mana, and I'm looking at these going, I can take all these for three hundred bucks. Like really? Because <laughs> like, he yeah. was just like, I want to, I want to unload them. He's like, I'm tired. I can't sell them. He's like, they'll never sell here. And I'm like, well, mm-hmm. you know, why don't you put them on eBay? And he's like, I, I don't want to do that. I'm, because you know, I had a chance to get them, but I, you know. I'm not going to, I just, I couldn't do it. <laughs> people yeah. are probably yelling at me right now, but I just, that's a lot of money to drop at one time, you know? No, it, it is. If it was one it copy, is. like if it was just like Chrono Trigger or Earthbound and he was like, I'll sell this to you for 75 bucks or a hundred bucks. I, mean, I can do that. I couldn't drop yeah. 300 bucks at one time. I just, I couldn't do it. Yeah. I don't know. And I mean, if you, if you get it also, you're not going to open it if it's complete in box and good yeah. condition. Like there would be zero chance and secret of mana and earthbound are two of my favorite super Nintendo games, but not a shot. I would open those boxes. Those oh, would go yeah. on a display counter here in my room. And then who am I going to show it to? I'll show it to everybody on the stream and then I yeah. show it to you and nobody else gives a shit. <laughs> like, exactly. I own this really expensive uh, super Nintendo game that, you know, Nobody cares. Yeah. Like none of my friends just gonna care. Sit here. <laughs> like you're the only friend I have that plays like retro games. You're the only one that would get the value in it. <laughs> <laughs> like if I showed my brother, you know, my brother might, you know, see the value in it because he collects vinyl and things like that and old, you know, tapes and tape decks and things like that. But other than that, like none of my friends would care. They would look at it and be like, "The hell is Earthbound?" <laughs> you know, yeah. like they don't know. So it's not like I can show it off anywhere. So it's just kind of a waste of money. I mean, if I could find a copy, just an open copy of the, the cart itself for like 50 bucks, I would do that. But I'm really trying to justify to myself to the, at this point, <laughs> not getting them. That's why I've been going on so long, but I got to stop. We need to move on. <laughs> <laughs> But let's go from from retro games to books. Yes. For you, the listeners of the Nerd Cave Retro Podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. So, Jason, why don't you tell everyone about the book that we mentioned earlier? Uh, the book Raiders by Chris Trampolis, Alan Eisenstock, and Eric Zala is the story of the greatest fan film ever made. If you've never heard of this before, uh, two teenagers from the Mississippi Gulf Coast back in the 1980s loved the Raiders of the Lost Ark so much that they spent the next seven summers of their lives trying to make an, a shot-for-shot remake of the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, and they did, they did it. They finished the movie, but with one key scene missing. Uh, they didn't get to do the, what do they call the plane uh, that they were trying to load the Ark onto? What was the name of that plane? Uh, Whenever Indy gets, I remember. when he gets out of the snake pit and there he's trying mm-hmm. to stop the plane from taking off that has the Ark in it. That whole fight scene with the big guy, you know, the big bald German guy, they didn't get to do that scene. 
So a couple of years ago, they were doing a Kickstarter that, that funded where they could go back and reshoot that scene. And they shot it, you know, I think like 10 miles up the road at some dirt pit out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and they got it filmed and they, you know, they completed it. And, you know, Steven Spielberg saw this tape um, and, you know, they got to meet Steven Spielberg. Uh, and how it got out was actually, um, well, what's his name? Uh, he's the horror director. Um, he did Hostel, uh, Eli Roth. He mm-hmm. happened to come across a copy of this VHS tape of these kids that did a shot-for-shot remake of Raiders of the Lost Ark. He gave it to Harry Knowles. Harry Knowles played it at the Buttonumathon, I think, in like the early 2000s or late 90s, something like that. Well, it kind of caught fire and became this whole cult thing. So, you know, over the last couple of years, it's become this big, you know, just kind of a snowball of the, you know, these guys getting recognition for this and everything. And this book is just about that story. So if you've never heard of this, like it's an excellent book. It's narrated by Josh Goodman. It's 11 hours, five minutes long. Uh, You know, that's a lot of content for free. So if you're interested in this and then you can actually watch the movie, I think it's, you can find it on like YouTube or whatever. Uh, I think the, the, the Raiders story of the greatest fan film ever made documentary, I think is on Netflix right now. Uh, If it's not on Netflix, it's usually on Amazon. I think they kind of flip flop who gets it at a time, but it's easily, you can find it on one of the streaming services, but I'm pretty sure it's on Netflix. But definitely go get this book. Use your free code, audibletrial.com slash nerdcave. Go get it. It's excellent. Absolutely. And, you know, in addition to that, Audible has a ton of other books as well from fiction, nonfiction, sci-fi, fantasy, gaming, uh, anything you can think of, Audible has. And if you're always on the go like I am, Audible is a great service to have to be able to continue to read without having to sit down and read a physical copy. So again, to do that, if you want to download the Raiders book or any other book, go to audibletrial.com slash nerdcave. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash nerdcave for your free audiobook download and 30-day free trial. Derek, this one's been a long time coming. And you know what we're going to be talking about tonight? course the legend of zelda for the nintendo entertainment system you know and i wouldn't necessarily say this is a review of legend of zelda because i mean what can you say about this game it's nes perfection what i really wanted to do tonight you know i'll talk a little bit about it here like we usually do but really i just kind of want to talk about our memories of this game and kind of go you know the history of this game and and kind of the you know the legacy of Legend of Zelda. I mean, here it is. This was released in... When was this exactly released? It was released on February 21st, 1986. That is 32 years ago at this point. And we're still playing Legend of Zelda games. I mean, you can't deny the the cultural uh, impact that Legend of Zelda has. And the original Legend of Zelda 
is an action-adventure video game developed and published by Nintendo and designed by Shigeru Miyamoto and Takashi Tezuka. Set in the fantasy land of Hyrule, the plot centers on a boy named Link, the playable protagonist who aims to collect the eight fragments of the Triforce of Wisdom in order to rescue Princess Zelda from the antagonist Ganon. During the course of the game, the player sees Link from a top-down perspective and must navigate him through the overworld in several dungeons, defeating enemies and finding secrets along the way. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to go so far as to say, like, I do like Ocarina of Time. I like, uh, you know, I love uh, Breath of the Wild. Uh, Twilight Princess was okay. Uh, Wind Waker was, pre was up there. But for my money... You can't beat, I think, a top-down perspective, uh, you know, Legend of Zelda game is just, that's that's Zelda to me. You know, that, that I would love to have, even like, if they could remake Breath of the Wild, but do it in a, like an 8-bit top-down, like, like, just sort of like, remake the game, but do it as a top-down 2D, or even 16-bit, 8-bit or 16-bit way of doing it would be awesome to me. I don't know what you would think about that. No, I'd absolutely play it in a heartbeat. Like that would be a first day purchase for me oh, if that yeah. were to ever happen. I mean, to kind of go along with, you know, we were going to talk about our memories of Zelda. Some of my most distinct memories that I have as a kid is playing this game because I never actually owned an NES but I would go to my aunt's house after school waiting for my mom to get off work and come pick me up. And my aunt had two games. She had the Mario Duck Hunt like combination cartridge that most everyone had with an NES. And the other was The Legend of Zelda. Now, Mario was great and all, and I even had fun playing the occasional Duck Hunt game. But I was always drawn to Zelda more than any other game that I played. And I wasn't exactly sure at the time what it was. I, I think it might have been a combination of the gameplay as well as kind of the the theme because that kind of sparked my interest in anything that had to do with, you know, medieval type stuff. You know, I love the King Arthur stories. Any movie that comes out that has some type of medieval medieval theme to it, I'm always interested in. And I think it all stems from the legend of Zelda. I spent so many hours playing this game and I've played pretty much every Zelda game since I haven't played a couple of the 3ds games like phantom hourglass. Yeah. Uh, but you know, there's not really a Zelda game that I truly dislike. I mean, as you mentioned, I agree with you that twilight princess was okay because a lot of people wanted that, darker grittier Zelda game well they made it and it wasn't the best that I felt like they could have done you know yeah. like, people bashed Wind Waker for its cartoonish look but it's got some of the best gameplay in the entire franchise yeah and it's it's what Zelda is to me it's pure fun yeah there's some element of danger to it but when it comes down to it the Zelda franchise is just pure fun yeah and I remember one of one of my greatest accomplishments from video gaming is because I never beat this game during its NES run, but during the Game Boy Advance years, they re-released several NES games like as like an NES series or whatever. It's like classic NES series. Yeah. They released, you know, Super Mario Brothers, Zelda, and a few other games. And it was at that time 
that I finally beat Ganon <laughs> and I beat the entire Legend of Zelda game. And that was I still remember I was sitting in the car when that happened. And as soon as I killed Ganon, I was like, ah! and, it, <laughs> and it, it was it like because it was years of trying to beat this game because we were talking about it, you know, off air. This game is not easy. Yeah, this is one of the most difficult Zelda games that you will ever play. So to finally get through it and beat Ganon was one of the most awesome and rewarding experiences that I've had as a gamer. Yeah, and and this was a game that literally took me years to beat. Like I I remember the first time I played Zelda, you know, I didn't actually own a Nintendo of my own until I got it for my birthday in 1988, I think it was. Um but before that, I, you know, I had a lot of friends that lived near me that had Nintendos. And I, one, of, I, one friend in particular was really into, like, fantasy stuff. Like, you would go into his room and there would just be, like, you know, Tolkien books and, like, Forgotten Realms. Like, that was his... And, like, sci-fi books. He was really into fantasy and sci-fi. And he had uh, a Nintendo and he was played Legend of Zelda. So that was kind of my first taste of Legend of Zelda because all my other friends had games like Kung Fu uh, Mario Brothers and like Rad Racer things like that so that was what I thought Nintendo was you know kind of just that arcade experience but then when I finally got to play Legend of Zelda and I was just like what is this you know like what do I do do I, you know and I kind of you know I started playing it more and more and finally when I got my own Nintendo. It wasn't one of the first games I got, but it was definitely early on that I got a copy of Legend of Zelda. And I, you know, it took years to beat this game because I didn't have the the Nintendo Power that had the map. I think it was one of the very first Nintendo Powers that had the map um, of the you know Hyrule map as you know the trifold mm -hmm. pullout that month. And mm -hmm. I just kind of played this game blind, just kind of going through it you know, trying to find the secrets and, and stuff like that. So um, I was still kind of playing this game off and on. And honestly, I don't think I beat this game. I think I think that's right. I think it was after 91 when I finally got the Super Nintendo and I got Legend of Zelda Link to the Past on the Super Nintendo. I That was one of the first games I ever got for it. And I played that game all the way through. And that made me go back and replay the original Legend of Zelda until I finished it. And I think by then, and I actually, if I remember correctly, I know that I used the Legend of Zelda guide, but I think it was my friend's guide that I borrowed to be able to get mm -hmm. through the game. His name was Patrick. And um, I know he lives in New Orleans now. I haven't talked to that dude in 30 years, man. Um, but yeah, that's how I think I finished it was actually borrowing his strategy guide for Legend of Zelda and finally finished that. And, you know, the, the graphics on the, the, as far as I do think that I like Legend of Zelda Link to the Past, like that's definitely my favorite Zelda game of all time. The first one is definitely second. Like I love Breath of the Wild, but if I had a choice, you know, I would like the two, you know, originals, like, I, and, and I'm not talking about Zelda two. <laughs> I still don't like that game all that much, 
But the we'll first, save that for another episode. Yeah, the first Zelda game for the Nintendo, Legend of Zelda and Link to the Past, are the two definitive Zelda experiences for any Nintendo player. And it's one of those debates, you know, it, you know, I'll say that Ocarina of Time and Breath of the Wild are my two favorites. But if you were to present, you know, well, the original and Link to the Past are my favorites and this is why. Like, I, I wouldn't try to dispute it because, you know, all four of those games are great in their own way. Yeah. And and that to me is just a testament to this entire franchise because there are so many great games for it. And it's to me, it's also unprecedented because, you know, the, the only one that I think you can make that debate with as far as success is is Mario. Yeah. But I will say that I've in, I've probably enjoyed more of the Zelda games than I have the Mario ones. I think so too. You know, as much as I love, you know, especially with the Switch, you know, I liked Mario Odyssey. I'm, you know, I, I, but Breath of the Wild was just a whole different beast, man. Like, I loved Mario Odyssey, but Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild was just, it was the, it's the best game I've played, like, new game I've played in the last decade. Easy. You know, Would you say it was a whole different divine beast? It was a whole different divine <laughs> beast. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, going back to the original Legend of Zelda, if you've never played the original Legend of Zelda, you owe it to yourself to go back and play this game. And I was talking to Derek before we started. You know, I just started playing it last week and um, again, and I didn't stream it. Because I knew <laughs> I haven't played this game in so long that I was going to be horrible at it. So I didn't want to embarrass myself. And I forgot how hard this game actually is. You know, just uh, I got, all I've gotten so far, I've probably been playing for, you know, four or five hours now. And the only thing I've gotten so far is like the first piece of the Triforce. And just to like get further out on the map is just... It's so hard, man, like that you get overwhelmed and like you, you need to be able to get more hearts to, to, to progress. And it's just it's one of those not punishing, but definitely one of those games that's going to take you a while to get through because there's so many secrets to find and new weapons. And, you know, it's just there was nothing like this before that. And it. it created a whole new genre of of gaming and like i said at the time you know i all that nintendo was to me was like side scrolling beat em ups and like mario and things like that and you see legend of zelda and it's a complete different like you know playing style and you know there's like you know an, an open world like that was unheard of at that point yeah, as far as the length of this game, I'll use a quote that my grandpa used to say: "You want to pack a lunch because it's going to be a long day at the office yeah. when you when you play the original <laughs> Legend of Zelda." I, I distinctly remember uh, after I got the NES Classic, I actually my my first goal was I wanted to play through the original Zelda again because I haven't done it since I played it on the Game Boy Advance several years prior. I actually found a printout of the map and I would print it out and that I would use that in yeah. order to find, you know, all the heart containers, all the weapons and everything, because, you know, I didn't do that during the, you know, original 
tenure of that game because I didn't get into Nintendo Power until later, so I had missed that issue. And it was next to impossible, or really impossible, to find old issues of Nintendo Power. Like, once yeah. you missed it, that was it. You, you, <laughs> yeah, you, you weren't going to find it. So it's just one of those games that, you know, they just bring up so many great memories. Like, th- this is, if you were to bring up, you know, what's your first memory of playing video games? It's this game. Yeah. And I, I use that as I use that as the example every time is sitting at my aunt's house playing the original Legend of Zelda game. I put so many hours into that game and a kind of a, a dream project of mine, because I know we're you and I are both aspiring filmmakers. My dream project would be to make a Legend of Zelda movie. Yeah. Like that would just be. <laughs> Uh, and because it would be so the story is there like you have so many games that you could adapt yeah. a great story from how it hasn't been done or even like a Netflix series would just be amazing oh it would make a perfect Netflix series I mean they already proved that they could do it with Castlevania with very simple you know uh, animation I mean it's not even computer animation it's more manga type of you know uh, animation but um to do uh a legend of zelda like animated series for netflix would just be unreal especially if it was done well and i will say this with 100 percent confidence and i'm not ashamed of it if that were to happen i would probably cry at the first time i would see the trailer (laughs) yeah (laughs) i i really would because that's not to sound overly sentimental, but that's how much like the Zelda franchise means to me. Like to me, it's more than just games. It sparks so many great memories. Yeah. You know, people, you know, I'll say that, you know, there's very few things I can say that about like Zelda is one. Star Wars is another. As far as pop culture stuff, I can't really think of too much besides that. So Zelda, the franchise it holds a very special place to me. Yeah. And and just to go back and play this again, when I haven't played it in so long, it just, as soon as I started up the game, I started to remember like all the times I had played this game as a kid, like, you know, at my friend's house and then getting my own copy of it. And, you know, it just brings back so many good gaming memories from when I was a kid. And actually, uh, before I move on, I actually read, I didn't know this, that uh, it was actually um, the first home console game title to include an internal battery for saving data. I didn't know this was the first game to do that, because mm-hmm. if they would have done this game without a battery backup system, <laughs> there's no way you could finish this game. No. No, it, it's... That's always kind of a cool little trivia nugget. What is the first game to include an internal battery for save feature? It's, I distinctly remember that because Mario didn't have it. None of the other games I remember playing for NES had it, but Zelda for sure had it. And one of the coolest things about this game that you know had never been done before was, you know, this is sort of like one of the earliest, I guess you could call it a dungeon crawler. Because you got the you know the the big overworld that you're going to, and then you have to go into dungeons, of course, to get, you know, you go into the dungeon, 
and the music changes, everything gets darker, and you got to find, you know, the compass, the map, and then you get, you find the you defeat the the dungeon boss to get the the you know piece of the triforce, and you have to do this throughout the game, and then, and you of course you beat the 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 bosses, and you get uh you get heart containers and things like that. <coughs> So as you progress through the game, you know, the more powerful your character becomes. And that was, you know, that's, this is more of an action RPG, but, you know, as you know, you, it's still there to this day. Like you play Breath of the Wild and, you know, each Zelda game is just sort of the center around that, that same kind of, you know, ideology where you go in and, and you start off weak and you build yourself into this badass character by the end of the, the game. And of course, mm-hmm. it's you know the the stories have changed, and you can't really follow the Zelda timeline at this point because you're just like, well, when does this game fall into the main timeline of everything? Like, some is like, are there different Zeldas and Links throughout time? Or are they are they just destined to like? Is this something that's destined to happen every couple of thousand years? Or you know, like, what is the central theme of this game? But it doesn't really matter because each game is so good that's all centered, centered around, like, kind of the same storyline. And as we've gone, you know, uh, up through Breath of the Wild, like, you know, Zelda's a pretty powerful character. You know, mm-hmm. she like, in Breath of the Wild, she's kept, uh, you know, Ganon in check for you know, a hundred years or whatever, or however long it was in that game while Link was asleep. You know, until he could yeah. come back and fight Ganon, and you know, it. it people look at it as a, you got to save the princess sort of game, but you know, Zelda's always been like the game is named after Zelda. You know, even as a kid, we thought Link's name was Zelda, and then you found out his name was Link, and everybody's like, "Oh, is that Zelda?" Like, it's not Zelda. That's Link. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was gonna bring that little trivia fact up. There, there are people that'll, yeah, especially Zach and Robbie will do this. Like, oh yeah, Zelda's the the guy, right? And I'm like, yeah, shut up right now. I will, I will backhand the both of you. Yeah, but those of us in the know as kids, we were we were pretty uh, aggressive about that. <laughs> The fact that his name was Link, not Zelda. Here's here's a little uh, did you know thing about Zelda. I think it was since Link to the Past. Did you know that pretty much every Legend of Zelda game begins with Link sleeping? I never noticed that, but yeah. <laughs> In Link to the Past, he's yeah. asleep. You know, his uncle wakes him up. Mm-hmm. Ocarina of Time, he's sleeping in his hut. Or his treehouse, or whatever. I didn't even think about that till you just said that. Yeah. Hmm. So I wonder if these yeah. are all just some sort of fever dream that Link is having. <laughs> the if they ever like end the Zelda series, the last scene of the last game should be Miyamoto waking up like, "Oh, this was." Can you believe the dreams that I've been having? Yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but what? To, oh, what were you gonna say? One thing I did want to bring up, because we haven't brought up the greatest thing about Zelda yet, we got to talk about the Legend of Zelda cartoon. Oh <laughs> no! <laughs> I, I I actually like it. It was awful, but to me, it was so awful that it was kind of fun. Like I actually I went back and when those DVDs came out for the Mario Brothers Super Show yeah. and for the Legend of Zelda I actually went back and rewatched them 
they're not very good, but they're kind of fun in their own way. Yeah. Even though Link's, you know, a complete pervert. <laughs> I was it's not, actually kind of funny. I was not a big fan of the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. I mean, I liked it, and I liked the Legend of Zelda parts. I was more of a Captain in the Game Master guy. Yeah. Then. Like, I loved that show. Well, Link and Zelda were on that show. Sort of, but not really. Yeah. <laughs> like, there was... They took a lot of liberties with Captain in the Game Master as far as some of the characters in that show. Yeah. Because, like, Simon Belmont was kind of like a big prima donna, like, uh, you know, yeah. model-type guy who wasn't good at anything. And then Mega Mother Man Mother Brain was, was kind of weird. Yeah, Mother Brain was kind of racist. <laughs> if you look back and bit. look at it. Um, and, okay. you know, the, the Eggplant Wizard and um, King Hippo were the two yeah. um, bad like, lackeys. The, yeah, the lackeys for Mother Brain. And Mega Man was like this weird little, like, uh, almost like a, like a mafia type guy or something. And like, Some... hey, Captain N, let's go do this uh, adventure over here. <laughs> like, it was weird. Capiche. Like, wasn't Mega Man supposed to be like a little kid? Supposed to be, yes. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, they took a lot of liberties. With, and then the princess in that show wasn't even a real princess. Like, she wasn't in any game. Oh, yeah, she <coughs> was a ri- an original character. Yeah. I that, forgot about that. And then, of course, Game Boy showed up in, like, season two. And I was like, yep, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. There, there was some type of special memory that I had. Because I, I distinctly remember... Like the Mario Brothers Super Show was okay, but I remember the Zelda cartoon would come on every Friday, and I always made it a point to watch the Zelda cartoon because that—that's how big of a Zelda fan I was. Even though I knew back then it wasn't that great, but it was still kind of fun in like it's a really bad, it's fun kind of way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, if you uh, <laughs> if you want to go back and watch them, I think they're all on Netflix right now or something. Uh, all those old uh, Super, uh, Super Mario Brothers Super Shows. Are they still on mm-hmm. Netflix? I think so. They might be. It's been a while since I've looked, though. I, I'm are, pretty sure if you can't find them there, you could find them on YouTube. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Go take a look, and you'll realize that we were starved for entertainment uh, as far as cartoons in the 80s. <laughs> I can't wait to see how many of our listeners crap on me for somewhat liking the Legend of Zelda cartoon. Yeah. Uh, but just, uh, I wanted to cover a little bit about the, the development history. Uh, and I'm just going to read, this is off the Wikipedia page for uh, for Zelda. Uh, development for the game was directed and designed by Shigeru Miyamoto, uh, who also did, uh, didn't he d- uh, come up with Mario? Uh, the whole mm-hmm. Mario storyline. Uh, he produced the game, and Tezuka, uh, <coughs> Takashi Tezuka, wrote the story and the script. Kaiji Teru, t- Terui... I'm not sure how to pronounce that. A screenwriter who worked on anime shows anime shows such as Dr. Slump and Dragon Ball wrote the backstory for the manual, drawing inspiration from conflicts in medieval Europe. Uh, development began in 1984, and the game was originally intended to be a launch title for the Famicom disc system. The development team worked on The Legend of Zelda and Mario, Super Mario Bros. concurrently and tried to separate their ideas. Super Mario Brothers was to be linear, where the action occurred in a strict sequence, whereas The Legend of Zelda would be the opposite. In Mario, Miyamoto downplayed the importance of the high score in favor of simply completing the game. 
concept that was carried over to The Legend of Zelda, Miyamoto was also in charge of deciding which concepts were Zelda ideas or Mario ideas. Contrasting with Mario, Zelda was made non-linear and forced the players to think about what they should do next. Um, let's see. Legend of Zelda, Miyamoto wanted to take the idea of a game world even further, giving players a miniature garden that they could put inside their drawer. He drew his inspiration from his experience as a boy around Kyoto, where he explored nearby fields, woods, and caves. And through the Zelda titles, he always tries to impart to players some of the sense of exploration and limitless wonder he felt. Uh, when I was a child, he said, I went hiking and found a lake. I was quite surprised for me to stumble upon it. When I traveled around the country without a map, trying to find my way, stumbling on amazing things as I went, I realized how it felt to go on an adventure like this. The memory of being lost amid the maze of sliding doors in his family home in Sonobi was recreated in Zelda's Labyrinth Dungeons. <clears throat> so... He really put a lot of himself into this game as he made it. And I, I had heard a lot of the stories, you know, about how he, the, his inspiration for the game was, you know, him growing up as a child in Kyoto and just kind of exploring the countryside. And I think he did, you know, brought that to a video game experience excellently because that's yeah. really all Zelda is about is it's not about, you know, how fast can I defeat the game? It's not about, you know, what high score can I get or anything like that. It was all about exploration and eventually, you know, building your character up to take on Ganon at the end of the game, you know, get the, you know, get the master sword and, and finish the game. And that was oh, still holds up to this day. I mean, that's what makes legend of Zelda great is because I think, it really opens up the imagination. At least it does in me. It inspires me, yeah. you know, when I'm writing or even in my, some of the, my own personal like artwork that I do. Like I love, like, I think the world of Hyrule is one of the best creations in all of pop culture. You know, it's like, I love star Wars and, and, and Blade Runner and I love world building, you know, like, uh, you know, Mad Max, Fury Road was great world building, but, you know, Breath of the Wild, the Hyrule that's in Breath of the Wild is still, like, one of the most beautiful game vistas that's ever been created. Ever. And probably will ever be made. No, I agree 100% with that. And that, to me, is another testament to this franchise, because... Pretty much every game that's been made for it has that kind of a, a timeless look and mm -hmm. feel to it. Yeah. And I think it's it's a reflection of the era that it's made in as well. And that's when a lot of people say that they don't like the bright, colorful, animated look for Zelda. But if you take Breath of the Wild, which has a bright, kind of an animated look to it as mm -hmm. well... Um, and Wind Waker, you compare those to the grittiness of Twilight Princess, which ones hold the test of time more? Well, that's what I was going to say. Uh, you know, you were talking about that earlier. I really think, you know, Breath of the Wild was a good mix of, you know, the lightness that was Wind Waker and the darkness that was, you know, uh, Twilight Princess. Twilight Princess. It perfectly, like, it's a perfect balance of that kind of light and dark 
in that world in you know in that game breath of the wild because don't get me wrong i liked wind waker but i did feel like it was a little bit too cute and mm-hmm. at the time even though i did play the game i thought it was a little too cute and then it was so you know 180 degree turn to twilight princess which was the next game to come out and it was so different and so dark and like all right we went too far <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. let, let's let's kind of back it up, and and Breath of the Wild perfectly met in the middle of those two, at least in my opinion. And I think the look of Breath of the Wild is what the franchise needs to be. Oh yeah, because because it's it's a style that will stand through generations. Like I, I truly think that if you were to make a new Zelda game, <clears throat> excuse me, ten years from now, and you use that same style it would still hold up. Yeah. Well, you look at like World of Warcraft and how long that game's been out now. I mean, they just celebrated like their 14th year, you know, World of Warcraft, and it's still the biggest MMORPG out there. And all those guys that developed that game, you know, they all look to Legend of Zelda. Like they were inspired by Legend of Zelda. Even the art style, the reason that game has lasted for so long is because it has that, you know, sort of cartoony, like quality to it. It doesn't look over realistic. Like you look at all the, the MMOs that have come out and gone away. They try to do like an overly realistic look. And that's why I think, you know, like breath of the wild looks so good is because it's got that, you know, it, the world itself looks real, but it's also got the, and like, but the people and like, it still kind of has that cartoonish quality to it that, keeps it from being like over like realistic and i think that's the style choice that's gonna that that makes legend of zelda last for as long as it has because you go back and you look you know at the original legend of zelda and even in and especially linked to the past the look of those games especially linked to the past like that game still looks gorgeous to this day mm-hmm. like that map that overworld map you know, the enemies and the houses and the woods and the trees. Like, I'm sorry, but when you're going to get the Master Sword and you're going through that dark forest and then you go in to get the Master Sword, it's still one of the most beautiful pieces of gaming ever made yep. to this to this day and will probably never be equaled. Like, when you go to get the Master Sword, like, I will remember that moment for the rest of my life. Well, it's just the perfect visual too. As soon as you grab the sword, you see the three pendants that mm-hmm. you you know, worked so hard to get. They yeah. rise up into the air, and as soon as and they still use the same soundbite to this day when you pull the master sword out of its pedestal, whether it's in the middle of the lost woods or wherever it is. That sound and that moment of pulling the sword out is like the turning point of yeah. the game. <laughs> yeah, it's like all right shit's on now yeah (laughs) and like and like it's weird because you go through like it's takes you so long to get those three pendants um and then you do that and you're not even like halfway through the game yet you know you're still you're only like what 25 30 percent of the way through the game and like you still have to go through the dark world and rescue all the maidens it's crazy how big that game was at the time you know, even just like not even talking about just the original Legend of Zelda, but Link to the Past is, is 
that's a beefy game for to be yeah. on like the Super Nintendo. You know, like yeah, I remember it took me months to finish that game, and I played it every day. Hmm. Yeah, it was pretty much the same with me, and you know, Link to the Past. I I would put the just the memory of playing the original, and with Link to the Past specifically getting the Master Sword. And then going to the dark world, mm-hmm. which is, you know, another another world, but it's the same size of Hyrule and you've got to yeah. do even more stuff. You're just like, <laughs> holy crap, I'm going to be here a while. Yeah, I remember I, I thought I was about to finish the game <laughs> when I got the, yeah. the Master Sword. And then, you know, you go up to Death Mountain and you go to another world that's exactly like this one, and I got to do all this other stuff on this map. And it's like, good lord, does this game ever end? And then you got to go through Ganon's tower, fight all the bosses again, mm-hmm. and then you got to fight Ganon. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, I don't think there's much more we can actually say about the Legend of Zelda franchise. I mean, we're just basically just you know slobbering all over it at this point but i mean this is one of the greatest games ever made i mean i like i said this isn't really much of a review as much as just sort of a walk down nostalgia lane for the legend of zelda but i mean this game it gets a 10 out of 10 easy this is if you own if you own a nintendo or you you don't have one but you want one and you want to start a Nintendo collection, and you only want to get like five games for it, like this is one of those five games, hands down. Absolutely. So it's, it is like we said about Contra, this is Nintendo royalty. Because like when I think of Nintendo, it's always Legend of Zelda, uh, the Super Mario games, and Contra and Ninja Gaiden, and Star Tropics. Those are the games that immediately pop in my head when I think of the Nintendo. Like, Legend of Zelda is always, like, up there as, you know, fights with Mario for the number one spot. Yeah. I, I couldn't have put it any better than what you just said. But I love this game, and I'm going to continue to play it, but if you want me to stream it, ain't happening, because I'm just going <laughs> to play this game as my at my leisure. As you should. It's the perfect game to do that. Yeah. So, um, anybody you know out there, you're listening to this. If you want to share with us your Legend of Zelda, uh, Legend of Zelda memories, um, record it on an MP3 and send it to us at uh, NerdCaveRetro at gmail.com. We'll play it on the show because you know, if for you, sure, if you want to hear yourself on the show, just just give us a one of your memories of Legend of Zelda or hell, any game that you have good memories of just, you know, record it on your phone, little MP3, send it to us at nerdcaveretro at gmail.com. Uh, and actually I, I talked with somebody the other day, uh, his name's Thad and I don't remember his last name, but I talked to him on Facebook and, uh, he was asking me, uh, if I ever thought about, um, reviewing little Nemo for the Nintendo, which was a Capcom title, little Nemo, uh, and dreamland. Uh, and I, I don't think I'd ever, I did play that one back in the day, but I never owned it. Um, but I and I didn't remember much from it. But I knew that it was one of the really good Capcom titles, so I may do that in a few weeks. I got it. Uh, I got it on the emulator right now, so I've been playing a little bit of that. So I may do that um, when I come back uh, the, the next couple episodes. And um, 
but yeah, I think I'm going to do that next. Uh, Little Nemo uh, in Dreamland. Nice. As far as my next review, which will be when you're listening to this uh, next week. Uh, so I've been posting polls on the Nerd Cave Facebook page. For one, it makes my decision a lot easier. And two, I just like hearing you know what what the listeners would like me to review. And in an absolute landslide, just like GoldenEye was, my next review will be one of the like a dream scenario for games super smash brothers for the nintendo 64 (laughs) one of my favorite favorite multiplayer games of all time i can't wait to go back because i haven't played the original n64 version in years so i have to see if i can track down a copy and play it uh but yeah this this was a lot of fun going back and revisiting zelda and it, it actually gives me an idea for a possible roundtable for my show that I'll talk with you about off air. Ah, that'd be fun. <laughs> let's uh, let's go ahead and get out of here so you can tell me. <laughs> For sure. But uh, but yeah, like I said, uh, one other thing I want to tell everybody about, please. Please go uh, leave a review for us wherever you download the show from, especially iTunes. Go to iTunes, leave us a review on the site. We'll read it on the show and uh, send us an MP3 of anything that you want to talk to us about. Uh, get a hold of us on Twitter. Uh, and Derek, anything you want to let people know about your show before we get out of here tonight? I don't just be sure to check out the Derek Diamond Experience podcast. Uh, it comes out every Thursday on iTunes, Spotify, and all podcasting platforms. And if you want to follow the show on social media, you can go to Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at D Diamond Podcast. Awesome. And go check out the Pop Culture Palette. You can follow us on Twitter at PCP Show and PCPRadio.com. Go listen to us over there. Uh, this last week, we talked to uh, Hammond Chamberlain of uh, the um, J. Ham- at J. Hammond C on Twitter. He's uh, the, uh, I'm trying to remember the name. My, we've been on the air so long, I can't remember anything right <laughs> now. <laughs> uh, so, Beyond the Playlist is the podcast. And, um, so go check that out. And uh, yeah, I think that's going to do it for this week. And uh, thank you for everybody for listening. And uh, let me go ahead and play our music here. And I will play us out. If I can get it to play. Are you playing? It's not playing. There we go. There we go. <laughs> if you would like to email us, you can email us at nerdcaveretro at gmail.com. We're at nerdcaveretro.com. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at nerdcaveretro, at jakefunktastic, and at Derek underscore, uh, underscore diamond, which you can follow us individually. And we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash nerdcaveretro. And I need to get out of here because apparently I can't read or talk anymore. So Derek, tell them what it's all about. May the way of the hero lead to the Triforce. You've been listening to a Nerd Cave Network production.